Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where I interview guests about their crazy, unique occupations or life experiences. I'm your host, Leslie Fear. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey, everyone. Today, I'm joined with Diana Cruz, and she is a near-death experiencer. Yes, I've got another one on, guys. And her story will blow you away. Welcome to the show, Diana. Hi, thank you. I heard you on another podcast, and I sincerely couldn't believe what you had gone through. Um, I think one of the main things that really fascinated me is the fact that you're a nurse, and you kind of knew things before you were supposed to know things. So before I give the listeners too much information, I'm going to kind of let you start with the first thing that kind of happened to you, and then I'm going to let you keep going, and I'll chime in, and we'll just figure this out together. Okay, so it all started when I was a little girl. I was very close to my grandmother, and we grew up very religious. Church on Sunday, you come home, family chores, family dinners, and lots of prayer. None of this psychic stuff ever existed in my house. As a matter of fact, it was discouraged, except my grandmother, who was pretty much the ringleader for the religion, always told me that I was a little bit different and that I was very special and unique. And, you know, I kind of grew up to think that she said that to all of my siblings. Right. (laughs) Until, you know, one day I went off to nursing school. I got my bachelor's degree. My grandmother always encouraged education, and it was so important for me to become a nurse. That was my lifelong dream. And I landed my dream job in labor and delivery right out the gate. And I started working there. And the same week that I passed my board, started working, I bought my dream car, my first investment. I was so excited. I had a lot of support from my mother. And I was working full time. I was working so much so that I could pay off my student loans. And I was living with my parents. And a few weeks later, I was set to like move out. And it was December 31st, 2009, and I was working overnight, and I had an awesome, awesome labor patient, and change of shift, they called a C-section, and when you're a labor nurse, you really bond with families. You're a big part of their lives. Oh, yeah, I'm sure you do. And I just couldn't leave her, so I went to the operating room with her, and I ended up leaving really late for work. It had started to snow, so I stopped into a girlfriend's house. We had breakfast. I went to the spray tan booth, got a spray tan. I was all excited. It was New Year's. I was going to go to Boston, you know, all the stuff that 24-year-olds do. (laughs) And I could not wait to go to Boston and see all my friends and live it up. And it started to snow, and I pulled over onto the side of the road, and I called the person that I was going to meet. I told him that I was uh, a bit reluctant and I would sort of reevaluate as the day went on whether or not it was safe to drive down. And no sooner did I hang up, I started to head home and I was going down a hill and my beautiful brand new car was so good in the snow. I was sort of tapping the brake going down the hill so that I could stay in control of the car. When all of a sudden, when I looked up, I saw a caravan with its headlights on coming at me. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I can't stop and I'm going to hit them. And I remember the sound of the collision and everything went white around me. I was Mm. spinning uncontrollably and 
I remember that feeling of utter peace. I didn't see anybody in particular, but it was so white and so peaceful. Mm. I remember it was almost as if I was like swimming in a pool of cotton balls. Oh, wow. And it was just the most accepting and loving and just peaceful feeling. I had no concept of time. The whole world as I knew it had totally stopped beneath me and I was just floating in the clouds. And you know, Diana, I meant to ask you something. A lot of near-death experiencers say there's no concept of time. And what do you mean by that? When you say that, are you aware that just time is not existent in that state? What is it that made you know anything about time at all? I didn't know what day it was. I didn't know how much time had gone by. I didn't care what was going on. In my mind, it was almost like I was above the universe. It was like, there were two different worlds and the one that I had just exited from didn't exist at all in my mind. Wow. And I was just floating. I was just going, going, going. And I remember just being so happy. It was like the best dream you could ever have. Nice. And everything was just so positive. And it was almost like you were just being hugged. I didn't get the feeling that I was hugged, but it was just that like welcoming, you know, feeling, you know, when you go somewhere that you just really feel energetically, that's how it felt to be on the other side. And I didn't know that I was on the other side. I just knew that I felt really loved and accepted. And this Mm. was the place that I wanted to be so bad. Wow. And I just felt like I was at home. I was at peace. There was nothing that you could feel any negativity. There was no chance that there was anything negative or harmful or you didn't feel sick. You didn't feel pain. You didn't feel anything negative. Mm, You were, mm, it was the best feeling just being surrounded by love. Mm. And all of a sudden I opened my eyes and I was breathing very fast and I just saw car parts everywhere. I couldn't open the driver's side door and immediately my nurse crisis mode kicked in and it was like, you've got to get out of the car. You've got to get out of the car. Somebody's going to hit you or the car's going to blow up. Just get out. And I was frantically trying to open the driver's side door and I couldn't open it. And I didn't even know which way I was facing. I didn't know if I was upside down. I didn't know if I was right side up. And I was trying to open the skylight and I saw snow still coming down and I thought, okay, you're right side up. And I was able to lean over and open the passenger side door and thank God, because I was like, I've got to get out. You know, the steering wheel was embedded into my chest and so I picked it up. It was, it was pretty much loose and I picked it up, set it off to the side and I went to get out of the car. And when I went to lift up my legs, my foot didn't come with the rest of my body. And I had snow boots on. It was gross. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I luckily had snow boots on, so I literally took the bottom of the boot and just tucked it under my body and just lunged myself out of the car. Wow. And um, I was throwing snow down my boots um, to try to decrease the swelling. I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, they're not going to be able to get my boots off. I don't know why I cared so much about my boots. They were cheapies. But um, (laughs) I just remember, (laughs) leave it to me. Leave it to me. Um, But I crawled to the edge of the street and I was shouting, you know, I'm down here, I'm down here. And people were running over and helping me because I was in a ditch. They were helping me up. And 
you know, people were putting their jackets on me and I started having a really hard time breathing. And my father was the fire chief in the town at the time. And my brother also was an EMT. And I remember telling this woman, do you have a cell phone? Can you call my mom and just let her know what happened? And she called my mom and just as cool, calm and collected as could be, told my mother what had happened. And I remember telling everybody, my dad is the fire chief. Please just censor what you say over the radio so that, you know, he doesn't think think bad is going on. And sure enough, my mom got the call. She started to head up to the hospital. And my mom called my dad, of course, on the radio. What they toned out is that the jaws of life was getting somebody out of the car, which was me, because I couldn't open my driver's side door. Right. And uh, CPR was being done on the other driver. And so when I heard that, I'm like, no, 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 you got to clarify. I'm talking like I'm good. And (laughs) I'm still having such a hard time breathing. And my dad showed up and my brother showed up and my brother rode into the ambulance with me. We went to the nearest hospital and, you know, there I was greeted by my family and my sister-in-law, who's an ER nurse, and she was nine months pregnant due to deliver my first nephew, first baby, and the whole family any day. And, you know, I had a series of exams and imaging, and I remember sitting in the x-ray booth and just being like, sir, please take this neck brace off. And he's like, oh, no, you have a lot of injuries. And, you know, I begged to see my x-ray of my leg. He wheeled me over. He's like, I don't think you want to. And I was like, from a nurse to an x-ray tech, you've got to do this for me. And so he wheeled me over. I saw it. I almost fainted. I was like, oh, my God, that's not my leg. That's not my leg. My foot was totally detached. And they were like, well, you've got multiple broken ribs and a severely broken leg. We're going to send you for a CT scan. And I remember telling them, no bad news. Please, no more bad news because between the broken ribs and the broken leg and, you know, that's going to need surgery. And, you know, we don't do that surgery here. I thought, oh, my God, I'm, I'm in for it right now. Right. Yeah. And so I went for a CT scan and the look on their faces when they came back were very grim. And they said, you have a pretty significant pneumothorax. And I remember asking, is this going to clear up on its own or do I need a chest tube? And I said, oh, you need a chest tube. And, and I what, thought, is oh, that a, my God. Is that a collapsed lung is what that means? It's a collapsed lung. Oh, yes. my gosh. And it was bad. And I went to the trauma bay and I remember thinking, this isn't good. And all of a sudden, I just felt myself going really calm, just sort of almost back to that place and at the same time they were rattling off my vital signs which I knew were not good and I remember looking at my sister-in-law and saying oh my god I'm coding aren't I and she was like just keep talking to me just keep talking to me and I leaned over and I was hypnobirthing basically getting the chest tube and I said to her please do not deliver my nephew while I'm in the hospital and she was like just keep talking just keep breathing and the worst pain of my entire life was that chest tube. And mm. I remember like that weak feeling of like, oh my God, I'm passing, I'm passing over all over again. And then immediately once the chest tube was in the right place, it was like, boom, I was back already again, you know? Oh, and wow. so I remember them saying, you're too critical for our hospital. So you need to go to a hospital that can deliver a higher level of care that you need. 
And I was like, okay. And I had trained at Maine Medical Center, and that's where they sent me, which was my dream job. I wanted to go work in labor and delivery at Maine Medical Center so bad. And I always said, I'm going to be back there. I'm going to be back there. And so off I was going. To oh, Maine yeah, Medical you Center. went back. <laughs> yeah. I went back. Yep. Oh, my I went goodness. back kicking and screaming. And so in a really terrible snowstorm, we drove the 45 minutes up north to get to Maine Medical Center. And that's where I stayed for a few weeks. And I spent six months in a wheelchair. Mm. Um, I learned how to walk. Um, with the broken ribs, I was unable to feed myself. I was unable to get dressed. You know, I was unable to even use crutches because I had the chest tube sight. So oh, I was pretty goodness. banged up for a while. And, you know, I just lived my life doing something the next day that I couldn't do the day before. And that got me through every single day. And I, you know, took solace in the fact that I would get through this and everybody kept visiting and I had home health nurses. I had home health physical therapists. You know, I was pretty busy as much as I was pretty laid up. Right. And right. after I recovered, I was unable to run again. And that was really heartbreaking. But I was able to, you know, get into cycling and get into like social leagues. And through that, I met my then husband and, you know, our relationship progressed pretty quickly and we bought a house. And things started happening in the house that I couldn't quite explain. Oh, really? Yeah. And it, the first night, I'll never forget the first night that we were there. I remember being in the bedroom on the first level and we were going to redo the upstairs. It was a, it was a fixer upper. And I remember feeling as if somebody was watching me and it felt very female, very feminine, but very petite, very quiet. And, mm. you know, the more time we spent in the house, the more things would come through me through dreams or smells or I would just get these feelings. Do you think you were starting to um, get premonitions or maybe whatever it was, maybe a gift that you got from that first near-death experience? Do you think you started getting abilities or what do you think that was? I think I was. I think I had been given a gift through the car accident right. that I didn't even realize that I had been given. I hear that and from so many near-death experiencers where they have it, and then all of a sudden they come back and they can do things they'd never done before as far as uh, psychically. And that's exactly what happened. And I sort of put it off to the side. And me being very religious, I started to really pray mm -hmm. um, and try. I, you know, we had the house blessed because things kept happening, doors opening, um, these premonitions. And, you know... My husband at the time was gone a lot on business, and I begged him, is there any way we can get a dog? I think I think what I really need is a dog, a companion. And we got this dog, and the second the dog came to the house, he went right to the area that I felt the most energy and started barking. And really? that right there was my confirmation. Okay, I'm not totally crazy. Yeah. And even my mother came over to the house, and she even said, do you think the house is haunted? And I was like, um, Mom, we don't talk like this. We are Christian. And she was like, yeah, that's right. And then I was like, Mom, I'm totally calling your bluff. Like, you totally get these same premonitions. So I do feel like it's, it's always been a part of me. And I think my grandmother right. always knew that about me. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And so we went on to have our daughter, which was so amazing. We flipped our house. We ended up sort of outgrowing the house. And we built the house that we live in now. And... We went on to surprise and get pregnant again 
And I suffered a lot of really bad postpartum depression Mm. after my daughter. And I sort of felt like, oh, my God, I can't have another baby. This really wouldn't be a really good idea. But to our pleasant surprise, we got pregnant again. And the pregnancy was totally different. You know, with my daughter, it was very high risk. This time, it was not high risk at all. It was a beautiful pregnancy. And as a nurse, you know, I was at work one day for an in-service. We had just gotten this new piece of equipment. Whenever there's a new piece of equipment, you always need an in-service to kind of educate staff on how it works and all that jazz. Right. And so I was there with all of my night people, and the new piece of equipment was called a rapid infuser. So if somebody is critical and they need a blood transfusion or sometimes multiple in a short amount of time, this piece of equipment can transfuse you in six minutes of blood and save your life. It's huge. And we were all standing around and towards the end of the in-service, I had this very vivid premonition. I was about 20 weeks pregnant with our son. And I said, listen up, girls, (laughs) you're all going to need this when I deliver my son. And they all, oh my gosh, you're so dramatic. Nobody's going to want to be your nurse, blah, 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 blah. We were all having a little banter. And I said to them, no, I have this premonition that just came to me and I feel like when I deliver our son, what's going to happen is I'm going to have a really bad hemorrhage and I'm going to need this piece of equipment and I'm going to need to go to the OR and I'm, I'm not going to lose my uterus. I'm not going to lose my fallopian tooth, but I'm going to need to go to the ICU and I'm going to be very sick. And everybody was like, Oh my God, stop it. It was as clear as day. And I remember In the premonition, my in-laws were there, and I remember thinking, they're going to need to get out really fast. It's going to be really scary, and every OB appointment from that point on, I made it very clear, if there's ever any emergency, do your best to save my life, save my son, give me blood, take my uterus, whatever you guys need to do. I'll put it in writing, and all my OBs were like, let's hope that doesn't have to happen, and Of course, as a nurse, that is your worst fear. Is anything bad happening to any of your patients? Sure. Always hope for the best. So along went my pregnancy, and I told my husband, you know, be prepared. This is what's going to happen. And he rolled his eyes, and I was telling my in-laws, and they were like, oh, you've got to think positive, you know. (laughs) Well, I had scheduled C-sections. So the day that we were scheduled to have our baby, We were driving, and I remember going over the bridge, and I remember telling my husband, okay, I just want to reiterate, if for whatever reason I become critical, I'm going to tell you all to leave, and I want you to get out of the room as soon as possible. And he said, oh, you're not going to be critical. I was like, okay. So we go in. We get admitted. The OR is running late, and I think there's a reason for this. And so a colleague who's a masseuse came in. She's like, do you want a massage while you wait? I'm like, heck yeah. So heck yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, me up. So I was living up the day and my kid's pediatrician just happened to be on call and she popped in with me and she said, how are you? Are you excited? How are you feeling? And I said, I hope you're going to be in the delivery room with me when I deliver. And she said, oh, no, no, you're a repeat C-section. That Our policy, we don't need to be in there. You're going to do fine. And I was like, no, I want to make sure that you're going to be in the room when I deliver. And oh, she wow. kept saying, no, you're going to be fine. 
And so I was pretty adamant, you know, what's your schedule? Where are you going to be in the hospital? Is everything going to be okay? And she was like, no, I'll, I'll just be downstairs. Uh, you'll be fine. Everything's going to go great. And so I went in. We were all cracking jokes. You know, the curtain, they pulled the curtain down so I could watch my son come out. I had a photographer. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it was a girlfriend of mine that offered to take professional photos. And so I knew it was our last kid. You know, I was having my tubes tied. We were done. And, of course, my son came out not crying, not breathing, had a poor heart. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And so the whole team came in, including the pediatrician, and she was cursing me out. You said this was going to happen. And, you know, with all of my admission paperwork, I did have a little birth plan that said, if for whatever reason I'm not able to be with our son, please make sure that you feed him whatever he needs, do whatever testing needs to be done. I don't care. Just take care of him and right. please take him out of the room. And so, you know, they finally, you know, got my son to breathe and cry and do all those things. And he was behaving himself. <laughs> yeah. And I went back to my room and I had such a beautiful recovery. My twin sister was able to come in the room. My mom was there. My mom-in-law, my sister-in-law, you know, my daughter was there, and we were opening big sister presents, and I was able to put my son skin to skin and breastfeed him, and the whole day was just so beautiful. And about six hours after I gave birth, I started feeling a little hot and a little mm. nauseous, and I thought it was my blood sugar because, you know, I had just started to eat, and I thought maybe I needed to eat a little more. Right. But the body kept saying, just don't, just don't. And I finally let my husband hold our son, and I took a couple pictures, and what I didn't realize is that that would be the last time that I would ever really feel that way again. Because oh my, my twin sister looked at me and said, is your heart rate always been that high? And I said, I don't know. I think my arm was bent when the blood pressure was going off. And she said, can I just get another blood pressure? And she hit the button. And my friend, who is a nurse, she took a look at my blood pressure. And she said, 88 over 40, uh, I need to call more help. And she called in more people. And as soon as I saw her pick up the phone, I said, okay, everybody needs to leave the room except my mom and my husband. And my husband looked at me and he said, but my dad just got to the hospital. And I said, I'm not stable. And right. my mom was like, she looked at my twin sister and she said, why don't you stay? You're the medical professional. My twin sister's a physician's assistant. So she was like, why don't you stay? You're the medical professional. I don't know any of this. And so my mom bolted. Everybody got right up and left. And the team came in and I remember they couldn't find the source of the bleed. Um, I wasn't bleeding heavy vaginally I and that's what was going on Diana the blood pressure was their indication that you were bleeding internally internally and usually as a nurse from a nursing standpoint when you have any vital sign changes those are the last to go so that's when you know you are becoming critical okay and so I knew when my blood pressure was changing I knew how I felt I knew that this was really bad and they were there was a lot of people I remember seeing the code card and I all of a sudden remember my girlfriend saying Diana keep talking to me and that's exactly what my sister-in-law said to me when I knew I was going critical and I knew at that moment there was something really wrong Mm. and everything went black it almost seemed as if instead of the white light experience in the tunnel and spinning it almost seemed as if 
I was surpassing that by a long shot. And I was put into this room that was very dark. And it was just like you see on TV a little bit, almost like you're in the middle of this dark room sitting at a desk. And it's sort of like you're in the principal's office, except it was still that loving, peaceful, very calm, very serene, very accepting, Mm. no concept of time all over again. And I just knew here we are. I'm here again. And this time I did see my grandmother. It was her and I in the room. Oh, wow. And she was very loving. I, I could not see her, but I could hear her. And it was almost like you could feel her as if she was sitting right next to you and had her hands on your cheeks. And mm. she said, Diana, do you want to stay or do you want to go back? And I remember at that moment, I was like, Grandma, it's so good to see you. I have fulfilled all of my life dreams. Right. I became a nurse. I became a wife. I had my little girl. I had my little boy. And I'm so happy and at peace with the way that my life is gone that I'm ready. And at that moment, I was transfused with a unit of blood. And I came to. And I was back in my hospital bed. And I saw my husband's face and he was so distraught. And I saw my colleagues and I saw my director recording. And whenever you have somebody recording, you know you are in a code. Wow. And I just saw all of my colleagues and the panic and the fear that I could just feel. Of course, they were very composed. They held it together and they did what they needed to do. And they did exactly what I told them I would want to want have done. And... Immediately, when I saw my husband's face, I said, Grandma, is it too late to change my mind? And immediately, they said, we're going to give you another unit of blood. And my sister kept saying, are you having any pain? And and I said, no, I'm not having any pain at all. And right. my sister was like, she's stoic. I know she's having pain. And she was like, tell them you're having pain. You need to go to the operating room. And she was being very upset she was just getting really upset and saying she needs to go to the operating room take her to the operating room and I said I will do whatever I need to do if I have to go to the operating room I will go to the operating room and as soon as I said I have right-sided shoulder pain immediately they knew it's internal bleeding and they said you're going to the OR and I said let's go let's go and my twin sister said it's about time (laughs) and you know they cleared my family out and I remember getting wheeled down the hall and having all of my colleagues surrounding me and it was just panic and I remember telling everybody it's okay I already made the decision I'm coming back it's okay everybody just relax right right and I remember my physician standing next to my bed on the elevator and she just kept shaking her head and she kept saying, you knew this was going to happen. You knew this was going to happen. Everybody knew this was going to happen. And we got to the OR waiting room and I asked the physician, am I going to go to the ICU after this? Because that is exactly what my premonition told me. And she looked me square in the eye and she said, I don't know. Oh my God. And we got into the operating room and I begged them not to sedate me right away because I'm very sensitive to medication. And all of my IVs blew. They had no access to any of my veins. I was basically just sick. I was very sick. I was very critical. Wow. And 
one of the anesthesiologists that I, I know and love and just swear by was in the operating room with me. And he was like, Diana, your kidneys are failing because I'm measuring your urine in a Dixie cup and that's not good. And oh my God. need to give you an arterial line, which you only get if you are really critical. And I said, okay. And he said, but I do need to give you medicine so that you don't remember it. I said, right now it's life or limb. Just go, just do it. And he got an arterial line and then he sedated me, except at this point, I knew I was out. I knew I'd been sedated, but I sat up on the OR table and I oh wow, I saw myself laying down and oh, I saw wow. all these people in the room and everybody that was in the physical world was very blurry and everybody that was not in the physical world was very clear oh, wow. and I knew I was having an out-of-body experience. At that point, I knew that I was in between two worlds. I wasn't quite on the other side where I had just been, but I wasn't on earth side. And I knew that. And I watched them make the incision. And I watched as I just poured blood all down the operating room table. And I saw the panic and you heard it and you felt it. And I knew that everybody was just panicked trying to get the blood to stop. I was I was bleeding uncontrollably and all of the blood that they had just transfused me with, I was just pouring out. And mm. to my left was one of my favorite physicians. And I'll never forget that I handpicked these two physicians to be the physicians to deliver my son. And I remember there was a man behind her that he was basically if I reached out I could just wrap my arm right around him wow he was the most softest gentlest person that was in the entire operating room and I was talking to him and for some reason I knew his name I knew the relationship to that provider and it was her brother and I remember talking to him and saying Neil you need to tell your sister I'm going to be okay Neil you, you've got to tell her to slow down. And he was talking to her and he was very calm. Caroline, you've got this. You know what you're doing. You can do this. You're going to save her. Everything's going to be fine. Wow. She's fine. And we were very close. And I remember there was a lot of other people in the room and I could pinpoint all of the relationship with everybody. It was a very dynamic team. And I remember just as much pandemonium was in the physical world, it was extremely light. Just this feeling of being very, very light where I was and where all these other people were. And it was just very much like these people had come down to kind of watch over their loved ones that were in healthcare and say, calm down, go slow, think it through, be very meticulous. It's going to be okay. It was just the biggest, and most motivating pep talk that you could ever have. And, and do you think they were hearing it though, Diana? I mean, do you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, do you think they were actually I, uh, by subconscious or something? I don't think that the people that were here in the physical world could hear them, but I definitely know that they were probably sensing their energy. Right. And I feel like they probably subconsciously was just were just in action mode but very calm and detailed, just like we're trained to do. But I feel in a time of crisis, your loved ones always are present. And they're always 
sort of guiding you and protecting you and sending you the energy and the courage that you need to get through whatever crisis you're dealing with. Right. And I've always felt that way. And it's very comforting, actually. <laughs> and I hope people take that away because I always try to hone in on the positive and the motivation. And whenever I'm in a crisis, I always sort of give a silent prayer to God or whatever God you believe in or your loved ones. I always pull from them and I say, okay, I need you to, I need you to guide me right now because I, I need to stay calm and I need to stay focused and we need to get this job done. And we always do. Right. And you know, when I woke up, the um, operation was over and my physician gave me a big hug and she said, Diana, you're okay. You're alive. We did not need to take your uterus or your fallopian tube, your ovaries. And I remember looking at her and I said, I know. And she gave me a little smile and she said, I'm so glad you're talking to me. And I remember from that point on, the recovery was very smooth. I remember I did go to the intensive care unit. I kept the arterial line. I had some of the best nurses in the intensive care unit. And 24 hours later, I was reunited with my baby boy and we were able to pick up where we left off. And it was the most surreal and most intense experience I've ever felt. And I'm so glad that it happened to me. And since then, the premonitions started getting very strong Mm. and intensifying the dreams. And I started reaching out to people that I could trust. And through them, I was recommended to other people. And before I knew it, I was in therapy myself. And I had this one woman tell me to reach out to that physician and tell her that it was her brother. And I kept getting messages from her brother, even after my son was a few months old. And I finally built up the courage to approach this woman uh, one time when we were alone. And I felt like it was appropriate to do so. And I asked her if I could tell her something about my birth experience. And she said yes. And I asked her if I could tell her that I had an out-of-body experience and that her brother was there. And she looked at me kind of puzzled. Yeah. And I said, I said, was your brother Neil? And she said, yes. And I said, did your brother wear glasses? And she said, my brother did wear glasses. And I said, was he really obsessed with his hair? Like, as if he would have lost it. Like, it, I see this, like, poofy brown curly hair and he's just like playing with the front of it and uh she said oh my god and she started to cry and she was like yes he passed of cancer and yes he was obsessed with his hair and she said I've got to show you a picture and I said did he have a very distinct relationship with your daughter her daughter was a tiny baby at the time and she went and got a picture and it was him holding their daughter and he had his glasses on and the little baby girl was asleep on his chest. And, you know, it was exactly what I had pictured. It was exactly the man that I saw in the operating room and it was as clear as day. And she made a little joke. I'm so sorry that my family is bugging you on your days (laughs) off. And I laughed and I said, he's a very warm energy. I'll, I'll take him every single day. You know, I love the company and, um, you know, it's, we we had a very unique bond over that. And 
things started happening at work where I would say, oh, I'm getting a feeling this is going to happen to a patient. And then, bam, it would happen. And we would all be prepared. And so it was starting to creep everybody out. And (laughs) through that, um, I had a lot of people sort of advise me to go through training and try to enhance these abilities. And through a lot of convincing, I got the green light to go away for a weekend retreat which is incredibly moving and uplifting. And that led me down so many different roads. And before I knew it, you know, people were calling me, I got Reiki trained and people were like, I don't want I don't want Reiki. I want the other thing that you do because through doing Reiki on people, you know, you tap into people's energy fields, things become clear and, a lot of people were like, I don't want that. I, I want to know what happens. You know, I want to know what you see. And it got to the point I didn't have to do Reiki. The more training I got, it would be like, I don't need to do Reiki. I would just get things. And um, mm. I would hear people's names. And I just started seeking more and more validation, more and more training. And, you know, I also really wanted to focus on my career because how many people can say they've had two near-death experiences? And through that, I just went on to advance my career. I got two national certifications. I went on to take over the bereavement group at work. Oh, wow. And, you know, I really started to see death and dying as a very different and very unique experience. And I started to really bond with these families and could sort of bring the sense of peace to mothers that have lost babies in utero. And, through taking on the bereavement group, I was able to educate staff and break up the policy and make it easier for people to care for patients that have suffered from the tragic loss of of a baby. Right, right. And I am two days away from finishing my clinical ladder in bereavement. So I'm so excited. Oh, that's amazing. So many positive things have come out of this. I mean, wow. And the fact that, you know, what I think is so interesting, this has totally changed your perspective, I think, probably on just about everything. I mean, how could it not? I mean, I don't know if you were afraid of dying before. Um, you've had, yeah, not at all. And you know, it's funny because I I don't either. And I'm not, I don't have near your abilities. I just never really have. I don't want to die anytime soon. I know there's something beyond this. So, you know, and I'm, I can wait to get there, but I can't wait to get there if that makes sense. Um, especially with all the things I say, yeah, especially with all the things you guys say, but how did it change you personally? I know it made you more psychic, but what else did it do? I know it changed you. What did your personality, what do you think that was? I became very open. Mm. I became very open because, you know, this is a change that you can turn on and turn off. The psychic stuff you can turn on and turn off with a lot of training. That took me a lot of training because I just became a magnet for spirit. But this is also a change that I sort of embraced and accepted that this is who I am. So I became very open to people's energies and you could sort of sense you know, when you met somebody, sadness. And so I was able to connect with people on a totally different level because I could sense this person's really sad. So you need to be a little bit more gentle with this person, whereas this person is in a really good energy space. You can have fun with them. And it just made me a lot more personable. And I didn't really sweat the small stuff because it was like, this is not the worst thing that has happened to me. And this is not something that needs to 
you know, ruin my energy space right now. And I just think that I just became a lot calmer, a lot happier, a lot more zen, if you will. No, I I totally believe it. And you know, like I, you didn't know me from Adam. I approached you and I said, hey, I heard you on a podcast. Would you be a guest on mine? And you immediately said yes. And I was like, and I usually get yeses anyway. I don't know if I had some kind of energy or you didn't know me. You could have said no. (laughs) You do get those feelings where you're like, this isn't a good idea. Or like there's something about this person that my intuition is letting me know to kind of hold back. Right. But with you, no, you have a beautiful energy, a very upbeat, a very outgoing energy. And that's exactly the type of person that I choose to surround myself with is somebody that is going to bring me up and make me feel enlightened. Absolutely. I think that's really important to have in this world during, especially during this crazy time that we're going through right now. Oh, I'm telling you, girl, I, I hope it goes away soon. Um, but no, you know, with this new Netflix show out, I think it's been out, what, a couple months, that Surviving Death, I watched it and I was just so moved by those stories. And this is just so appropriate for anyone that's enjoying that series. I would love to go on that show. I feel like I could bring a great story to that show. Absolutely. And One day I was at work and I started poking around the website and found an email address and sent what I thought, what I think, what I hope is the producer of that show. I sent them an email. So maybe it got lost in the shuffle, but I think that would be a really cool episode to film because I've had two in my, dare I say it, mid-30s of my life. Well, and you know what's cool is you're also a nurse, so you know you know that that's I think what really fascinated me the most with your story, um, besides just it being crazy uh, interesting, was the fact that you knew what was going on. You knew. Okay, well, guess what? I think I'm coding. Um, I'm in critical. I need this particular whatever line you needed, or or t- what was it? Some kind of line you needed. Yeah, arterial line. Yeah, arterial line. Yeah. I mean, you knew all the things and. But to me, that made you less scared, and it probably helped save your life. It absolutely did. Absolutely. Wow. That's amazing. Well, I tell you what, I love your story. You are incredible, and you do do readings, right? I do. I've started. Wow. Now, what if somebody wants a reading from you, what can they expect? What kinds of things do you do for them? Honestly, every reading is different. It all depends on my reader, and... What I typically do is either FaceTime, Zoom. Sometimes what I'll do is have people send me just a picture of them. That's it. No explanation. Just a picture of them right? via Instagram. And whatever happens or comes through is what I type out. And I'm going through training currently with the one and only Candace Dalton, who's Yay. phenomenal. We love her. We love her. And she is helping me so much. And so with that training, I'm gaining a lot more uh, insight into my delivery and so I'm really practicing right now I'm in the very beginning stages of kind of coming out of my psychic closet if you will right so whatever I get is what I give to the reader so sometimes it's a psychic reading sometimes it's very medium sometimes I get names sometimes I don't sometimes I get dates sometimes I get colors just whatever I get I give and I just see if it resonates with my reader and it sounds like, well, there's no wrong or right read, I think, in, in what you're trying to say, because you're going to give the people what they need to get. And I, it sounds like spirit, exactly. that's pretty much what spirit does anyway. They give you what you should get, not what you want to get or what you expect. And that's the, that's the beauty of it. Yeah, 
And that's so important to remember. There is no two readings. And a lot of people are like, but I wanted to hear from so-and-so. I'm like, but what I'm getting is that you need to talk to this person. You need to hear from this person in order to move on to the next step in your life. And what I always encourage is come back. Let's see if, let's see if I can pull grandma or let's see if, you know, you give me the first name of your grandmother. Let's see what comes through. Right. Um, I always want my reader to go away feeling very refreshed and rejuvenated and almost like they just had a massage, you know? Right. No, I think that's fantastic. No, I think that's fantastic. And so if they want to get a hold of you, do you have a website or can they get a hold of you through social media? They can get a hold of me primarily through Instagram, and the name is Diana CC nine three four seven. Okay, and I'll, I'll link that to my show notes. So just go ahead and uh, do you have a Facebook page or anything like that, or is it just strictly through Instagram right now? Mostly Instagram okay. right now. Okay. Well, you're just getting started, and honestly, uh, this might be the best time for anybody to get a reading from you, really, because you're going to blow up, girl. I know you are. I think you're going to be on Netflix. I think there's going to be more than two or three seasons of this stuff. Um, it's very popular. I loved it. Uh, and I love your story. And I so thank you very much for joining me today. You have been amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Well, I love providing because I want to know at no cost. So if you like what you heard, please leave me a five-star review or you can just buy me a cup of coffee. It's kind of like a Patreon, but you don't have a monthly subscription and you can give whatever you feel led to give. I am a one-woman show and I do all of my scheduling and my interviewing and my editing. So just know your support is so greatly appreciated. And one more thing, I am a paranormal romance novelist and you can find all of my books on Amazon. Just look up my name. I'm very easy to find. Thank you guys again and I will see you next week.